All right, welcome back. Thirsty Thursday number eight. Uh, here we are. Leading from the front is our topic tonight. Uh, now that Bobby got all of his fingers out of his camera, and there he is. Uh, so just as a, as a reminder, uh, we are uh, live on Facebook, live on YouTube. Uh, so if you guys have any questions, for those of you that are out there watching us, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, but if you have any questions or comments, feel free to drop those to us. Um, and, and they'll pop up over here where we can see them, and, and I promise we'll get to them as quick as we can. My name is Ben, uh, volunteer captain in Salisbury, Maryland. I've uh, been in the fire service for about uh, 15 years now um, and have the uh, fortunate opportunity to work with all of these gentlemen that we're talking with tonight uh, and, and be supervised by all of them, which is probably unfortunate for them. Uh, so thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, so now we'll kick it over to Trevor. And go ahead, boss. All right, Ben. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in and seeing us again this week. We're really uh, honored to have Chief John Tall with us tonight. Uh, just like Ben said, I've had the opportunity to work with these folks in one form or fashion over the period of many years now. Uh, and John's also, uh, I'll let him kind of do his own thing. I don't want to steal his thunder. But in addition to uh, his fire service career, we also have the instructional side of life as well. Uh, where he spent a lot of years. So uh, by way of introduction, uh, I'm Trevor Steedman. Uh, again, worked with these folks for a long time, been in the fire service for a little over a third of a century now, which is kind of a little surreal, but uh, hey, it's been a great ride. I'm looking forward to the next, uh, well, not 33 years. My wife just shot me a look. <laughs> uh, well, the next several years at least. So I got still got some good years left in me. I uh, used to work up there in Maryland uh, with uh, those guys and then transitioned down here to a uh, job in South Florida. Just before we came on, I was just discussing about the heat index. Right now, it's about 105. So uh, as we talk about some leadership stuff tonight, we'll also talk a little bit about some tactical considerations for your troops on the ground. And uh, you know, a call, a call today, which would normally maybe take you know, a couple companies worth of response, might take double that just because your people are going to wear out. But that's another story for another time. Um, but anyway, we're glad to have you with us tonight and looking forward to discussing this topic of leading from the front and uh, some leadership, not only just from the top, but also from all levels of membership within the fire department. So with that, I'll pitch it to Bobby before we go to our guest of honor tonight. Hey. Uh, thanks, Trevor. Um, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you guys here. Um, you heard intros before, so I've been in the fire service for 32 years and a lot of different things. Uh, I'm really excited about tonight to talk about leadership. Um, Chief Tall has been a, a leader in our area for a very long time. Um, and been been a joy to kind of to talk to and network with. And if you ever have any questions, he's always available to talk to you, and it's been great. So I really look forward to it. Um, I really um, done a lot of different things in the fire service over my years: uh, volunteer fire departments, career fire departments, commendation, whatever. And um, you know, I really kind of landed towards um, a crew leader uh, is where I really love to be in the fire service. So when we talk about leadership, I'll I'll keep buying the where I really love to be is, and that's kind of going in with the guys and, and, and the girls and, and doing what we do. Um, but man, you, you know, these guys, chiefs like John tall, um, you know, they make a huge difference in the fire service because they provide those crews that are going in with everything that they need to the best of their ability. And, and we're blessed to have guys like him. So, uh, John, uh, that's your intro. Let's hear what you got to say, my brother. Man, that's going to be hard to top. But listen, uh, first off, let me thank everyone for the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, I look forward to this uh, great conversation. Uh, you guys are phenomenal people. 
uh, great leaders in your organizations, and I'm, I'm blessed uh, by your one, your friendship, and to know that you're leading people, men and women, in the battle every day. So that's a that's a great thing. A little bit about me. I'm certainly not going to bore people. Um, currently, the uh, fire chief of the city of Salisbury Fire Department. I've uh, been there for the last two years. Uh, it has been a great ride so far. Um, my career. I've been in the fire service, you know, going on uh, 28 years now. Got my teeth wet uh, as a volunteer at one of our Salisbury stations and just loved the fire service. And day one of being a member, I just knew it was what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. Uh, fortunate enough to get hired. And then we always talk about stars lining up. Well, mine uh, certainly lined up because I've had the opportunity to serve in multiple positions throughout my career from uh, engine lieutenants to uh, captain assigned to training to an engine captain to assistant chief and deputy and both uh, in charge of operations and the administrative side and you know operations is where it's at we all love operations we love going out on calls and I always frowned upon, you know, any type of office job, whether it was training or just being an administrative person. But I tell you, I have really learned a lot about the organization and how it runs being in those administrative roles. So that's a little bit about me. Um, just glad to be here tonight. Thanks for joining us, Chief. Uh, we we uh, obviously appreciate having you here with us uh, and imparting some wisdom uh, and some knowledge to us. So we, uh, we look forward to that. I think one of the things that, uh, we kind of mentioned or Trevor kind of mentioned as we kicked things off, um, was leading at different levels and different roles. Um, so why don't we, why don't we start by talking about, uh, the different roles in the organization. So, and the different, uh, levels in which we, we have leadership in the fire service. So, um, as a, as a captain, and uh, like Bobby, uh, a crew supervisor, crew level leader, um, you know, we're we're looking at developing our people beneath us because ultimately what every or at least the way it's uh, always been explained to me is if you want to move up, that's great. But you need to find your replacement. So um, our job is working to build those people to, to take our spots. Um, so even even below that, you know, our new members coming in. Um, you know, their, their leadership abilities and, um, you know, they're, they're helping with all of that. So um, let's start there with, with every member's being role as a leader in the organization. So, um, Trevor, you want to, you want to start first on that? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And when you first take your job or take your oath of office to become a firefighter, you become a leader, whether or not you aspire to become a lieutenant, a captain, a chief, whatever else the case might be, you're a leader in your community. People look to you for answers. Your neighbors look to you for answers. And when you come in the fire service, you know, we come in very bright eyed, bushy tailed, full of energy, or at least we should. And trying to maintain that throughout a career is the challenge. Uh, we have our ups and downs, but I still say this is the greatest calling, the greatest job, the greatest duty in the world. And we've all been very blessed to have worked in this industry for a long time. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the job will start to wear on us where we, uh, some of our firefighters and members get into that mindset that it's not my job. Well, 
I've seen a lot of job descriptions. I've written a lot of job descriptions and nowhere have I ever seen piss and moan as part of a job description or be disgruntled or be upset. And when I, when I talk about that, yeah, there's certain things that we, we as command and we as senior officers have a bad tendency sometimes to look at somebody who might show a little bit of promise or even be at the right place at the right time. And we put them in a position that we did not set them up for success in, meaning that we promote them and then we put them in a position almost for failure. If we're going to give people responsibilities, we got to give them the training. we got to give them the opportunity um, to actually succeed in that job. We have to give them the tools and we have to make the mission very clear for them. We can't just pat them on the back, wish them luck and, and kick them in the butt and say, you know, just don't cause any problems. We really have to make sure that you know, we're, we're exercising the leadership and mentoring that next generation of leaders. So give them the tools, give them the opportunity, give them the training, and then even more so, give them the empowerment. Push some of these decisions down to the lowest possible level. We have edicts, we have general orders, we have SOGs, SOPs, whatever you want to call them. But you have to be able to let that person make a decision, especially when they're the boots on the ground, who at three o'clock in the morning, when us uh, 40-hour folks, not you, Bobby, but you know, us 40-hour-a-week folks, which we've never worked 40 hours, it's always been in excess of that, um, you know, we might be at home, you're, you're the ones who are making these, these critical decisions. And if you either don't have the backing or don't have the knowledge, not because you're a bad or stupid person, but because we've not provided that opportunity for you and you make a bad decision or worse yet, no decision, that comes back on us. So that's our, that's our role and responsibility. Um, but I do say that regardless of whether you've been in the fire service for you know, six days, six weeks, six months, six years, you have a not only a, an opportunity to leave, but you have an obligation to leave. You're partway through your probationary period. Brand new member comes in. You know what has gone well for you during your probationary period so far and what has absolutely sucked. Take that new person in. You Mentor them. Help them out. Share that information with them. And you have the ability not only to lead you down, but also lead up. Um, you know, we're, we're only as good as the members that are with us. And you know, sometimes you can't you don't fight with the army you want. You have to fight with the army that you have. That's not a negative thing. But if you see deficits from a, from the command level, address them. You empower these people. Start giving the training. Um, but also you have that mindset and that culture in your department that it's it's okay to give feedback. It's okay to give information. And we rely on those folks. Um, the other night when we were all having a conversation about specking apparatus and a lot of times we've all experienced this. There might be a, a, a board, a commission, a group of chiefs, whatever committee, and they'll decide what's best for their members because we know everything, right? When we got the white helmet, they sprinkled some fairy dust on the top of it, and then we became all-knowing. Um, but if, in, in my case, that supply of fairy dust was, was pretty short. And you had to figure some things out for you quick, fast, and in a hurry. But going to the people and saying, okay, Here's the box we have to operate in. Here's a finite amount of funding, whatever the case is. Our, our apparatus bay is only but so big. Um, our, our monetary coffers are only but so big. But this is your office for 24 hours a day. You tell me what you need to do the job. And I'm going to give you some guidance. But uh, like Chief Call was talking about, and I'll kick it over to him um, on, on this note, you know, that, that has people get the buy-in. They understand, but this is their piece of equipment. It's not something that's been shoved down their throat and say, hey, just work with this. And it's impractical. Um, we all agree that operations, it's, it's the best part. We're all, we're all firemen at heart, regardless of our rank or title. But, you know, operationally, 
when we have the ability to incorporate those other people in versus shoving it down their throat, especially if we've been so far removed from that process because of our other responsibilities, um, it just it makes it better for those generations coming up. But they also get the opportunity to see, lack of a better term, how the sausage is made to say, wow, there's a lot that goes into specking apparatus. There's a lot of considerations. There's there's a lot of give and take, a lot of meetings, a lot of going to commissioners and council people. And I'll I'll get I'll circle back to that. But um, you know, with with that with that comment, I just want to pitch it over to John now and say, you know, over over your years and your history, and as long as I've known you, um, you've always kept your hands. Uh, you're you're a very hands-on individual, and even though you get pulled in a lot of directions for, on the administrative side. You, you always keep in touch uh, without being a micromanager, as far as I know. I, I've never worked directly underneath of you, but I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, Chief. But with, without micromanaging, um, you, you, you always keep in touch with what goes on out in the field because that's that's where the difference is made. So with, with that, John, would you mind speaking to those different levels of leadership and, uh, and how you view them in your department and collectively in the fire service? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you made a lot of good points when you were just talking about with leaders throughout the organization. And like I said earlier, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to lead and um, supervise at different levels in the organization. And one of the big things that I always kept in my mind, bad leaders are great examples for good leaders. I mean, you can learn great things from people that are bad leaders. You can look at what not to do and how I'm not going to treat people. And you know, through my career, I've worked with good and bad leaders in the organization. One of the things I always kept in mind was, you know, my job as, let's just say, the, the first line supervisor, that company officer, was, you know, my job for the new people coming in the organization was a couple things. One, to cultivate them, to make sure that they are successful in this organization, that they can be the future leaders uh, of the department. You know, one of the things that we do is the day you walk in the department, you basically get every job description from that probationary firefighter all the way up to the fire chief. It's your roadmap. You know, we want to make sure that you, whatever you decide to be, you can be successful because we're going to help you get to whatever level in the organization you want to be. So we we spend a lot of time cultivating people. You know, we coach we mentor those future leaders. By one, we give clear expectations. You know, what we expect from people. You talk about the senior leaders in the organization. And when I mean senior leader, I'm talking about those informal leaders. They are so valuable in an organization. Um, as that new lieutenant, I can't tell you how many times I would go to that informal leader to one, seek some advice, how to handle certain things. Maybe there's something I, I saw and I would say something to the informal leaders and they would manage it. And when you allow them to do that, you know, you, you get buy-in from people. You know, you create this environment where people want to succeed and they want to be successful in the organization and they begin to trust you. You were speaking of uh, the apparatus. You know, it's um, we're we have in the uh, Salisbury Fire Department, we have an apparatus committee and they are 100 percent involved in how the apparatus are designed, what goes on them. There are very few things that are uh, 
non-negotiable for me when it comes to designing apparatus. And some of those non-negotiable things are, you know, the uh, the marketing or how it's going to look at the end with colors, uh, graphics or whatever. But other than that, I'm not riding on it. I want them to have their office set up how they want it to be set up. I don't expect them to come in and tell me how to arrange my desk or my office. And I'm not going to tell them how to set up their equipment, what they want to carry on it, uh, what kind of hose, engines. That's all on them. And we have been successful. We have a great uh, committee. Uh, Captain Twilly manages that uh, work group. And depending upon the type of apparatus, he brings in people that have a lot of passion and knowledge. So when we spec our EMS units, you know, he'll, he'll bring people in that love riding on those EMS units and are going to spend a lot of time on it versus someone that rides an engine a lot of time. So we have been really successful in uh, creating that ownership on our apparatus. I mean, when it comes in, people actually care about it. It's their, it's their office for the day. You know, they take care of it. They want to make sure it's clean. Um, and when someone wants to mess something up, the troops are the ones that will jump up and down and go, hey, stop tearing stuff up. You know, we own this. It's ours. So, I mean, it's there's a lot of value in that. We talk about the, uh, the company officer, and I believe that at the company level, you are one of the most influential and important positions in the fire department. You are where the rubber meet the road. You know, you are right between everything. You have all those firefighters and troops underneath of you, and you have senior leaders, uh, officers above you. So you're right in the middle of everything. You're trying to uh, be a leader and a follower all at the same time. And, you know, we, we struggle sometimes answering to multiple masters. You know, you're trying to make the firefighters happy. And at the same time, you're trying to make your bosses above you happy. So company officers, I mean, they're, they're right in the middle of it, but it's the best job in the fire department, if you ask me, you know, to be there every day with the troops, um, going to battle with them. You have the most impact in an organization and can have some of the most successful uh, people in your organization. The problem with those roles is you're it 24-7. There's no light switch that you can turn off. You're always that officer. You know, you're always that leader. Your troops, if you have developed an environment of trust and you have integ integrity, you know, those people are going to call you 24-7. They're going to call you for advice. They're going to come to you when they are having the worst day of their life because they just want you to help them through life. And, you know, it's uh, it's the most rewarding position in the organization, if you ask me. So. And John, I mean, you've, you've given a lot of sage advice, and a lot of wisdom on that. And one of the things I know you've tried to do over the years, I want to pitch to Bobby next is, we try to get some of our members to look at things through a different lens and not only share our experiences with them because we've experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we want people to learn not only from our successes, but also from our mistakes. 
And with that, uh, when I when I try to get people to look through a different lens, it's not that I'm trying to get them to you know, work out out of their um, their classification or you know, try to think differently, but I want them to consider differently. Meaning that you know we understand what our job is as as firefighters, as paramedics, as officers. We get it, and uh, it's it's very clear to us, or at least it should be very clear. But when we have to try to explain that to other folks, such as mayors, commissions, governing bodies, you know, whomever, especially people holding the purse strings, they don't see it usually through our eyes. Um, so, Bobby, with that, because you've had the experience not only as a um, an officer in a, in a career department, but also as a uh, command and administrative officer in a uh, you know a very active volunteer department, can you speak to a couple of those things as far as how you how you try to balance that? Yeah, Trevor. Um, I think, you know, for me, you have to look at what is a perfect fire department. Um, there are no perfect fire departments. They don't exist. Um, they're not there. Uh, we all have our uh, faults. We have our we all have our uh, problems. We all have our issues, be it funding or training or whatever it may be. So, uh, you know, I think before I talk about this, I want to talk about the importance. Every single level of the fire department is of equal importance. Um, you know, the fire chief, uh, his interaction with the city and county councils, uh, his interaction with his membership um, is, is just as important as a nozzle person who just got out of the, uh, the academy or got done, done with his fire training and, and goes into the building. Um, so that being said, I mean, the perfect fire department, as I look at a perfect fire department is, uh, I, I call it inverted, an inverted triangle if you could say that. So, you know, who is the most important person? Well, from a victim's perspective, the most important person is the, the guy on a nozzle, is the, the truck crew member that grabs them when they're unconscious and only have 30 seconds or a minute left to survive. Uh, they're, the, they're at the end of the IV needle for the paramedic starting and giving life-saving medicines. Um, you know, the from a victim's perspective, which is how I try to look at things, uh, that person is critical to their survival, to their property surviving, to their them surviving, to them surviving their medical emergency, whatever it may be. So, you know, we want to have confidence at that level. But after 32 years, the one thing I learn every year is how little I know um, from all different types of things, you know, where, where we cover everything in the fire service you know if, if whatever happens we just go um, that's what we do and so we want to have competent people and, and so to in the perfect fire department what happens is you have a guy that gets good at the basic you know five skills of an engine company you have a guy that gets really good at the basic seven skills of a truck company you have a guy that gets really good at the basic skills of a or like the 11 whatever it is of a rescue company of a heavy rescue and things like that those guys are the ones that are actually touching the people, they're touching the, the hydraulic tools, they're touching the IVs, or touching whatever it may be. And when you get a mastery of those basic skills, it's really time in a leadership world to think about being a crew leader. To be honest with you, when you have those skills, you already were a crew leader. You just didn't know it. People are always watching you and what you're doing, and they know if you know how to go how to force an inward opening door. They know if you know how to stretch the line. They know if you know how to stay oriented in a building with zero visibility. You know, that you've already become a leader. So now it's just, can you become a formal leader, a crew leader? You know, and that, and that crew leader 
is a little bit separated from starting the IV, from pulling the victim out. They're a little bit separated from pulling the hand line and they're not on the nozzle anymore, you know? Um, so from the victim's perspective, they're a little bit less important. But in the fire department world, they're just as important because what they're doing is they're sitting there with a crew and we know that we don't know everything and our crew won't know everything. And there's times where, where this frontline supervisor has to step in and they actually, if, if, if your crew doesn't know how to do an inward opening door, they don't know how to cut a vent hole or wh- whatever it may be. Uh, that's a time where a crew leader has to step back in. So it's just, it's, it's a crazy world where you go from just figuring out how to do things yourself to all of a sudden be involved with two or three other people and having to know when to step in or when to let them allow them to do the skills that they do and learn, even though they may not be as good as you at that. And as it moves up through the fire department command, then you go to a captain's position and in cities that may be in charge of a firehouse with multiple pieces of apparatus or uh, in a volunteer fire department or accommodation department, maybe more uh, of, um, things to do uh, committees, you know, more, Apparat like uh, Chief was talking about apparatus uh, committees and, and, and leading those things up. And that's kind of, you know, the captain becomes that hybrid between being part of a crew and being a chief officer, you know. And then when you look at the chief officers, now what happens is everything shifts. They're further and further removed from the victim itself. But what they're doing is giving those people below them everything they possibly can give them to need, the training the equipment, the budget, the staffing, whatever those things are. We're not in a perfect world, so they never get to that perfect place where they want to be with as a fire department, but they work as hard as they possibly can. And I think, you know, when you get to the chief's level, in my opinion, when you get to the chief's level, um, you can make no difference on the fire ground anymore. Um, the difference on the fire ground now is all the training you provided, all the equipment you provided, all the staffing you provided. Um, all those things you've been doing, talking to the politicians, talking to the mayors, talking to everybody. Um, you can't fix a fire that's going on, but you fix it before you get there. And so I think there's a, that's kind of, to me, that's the myriad of, of leadership is, is that you become further removed from the call, but more important, providing the people that are running the calls with what they need to be successful at them. And that's, that's just kind of my spin on, on, on the whole leadership thing. I personally love being part of the crew leader. Um, I have my ups and downs through the fire service, and that's just where I really love to be, you know, with the with the boots on the ground. But I cannot begin to say, you know, our new chief, um, uh, Richie Bowers, has been doing a lot of leadership for us that, that you know, with, that we are appreciating. Um, it's not going into the fires with us, but it's providing us with the things we need, doing the things like that. And I, chief Tall, everything I hear from Salisbury is the same thing. He is in a different budgetary standard than we are in Ocean City. Um, but he's doing everything he possibly can to give his people what he needs. So all of us in the fire department are equally important in this leadership chain. Um, but when you look at the inverted triangle, everything goes back to that very, that, that firefighter at the end of the nozzle, that firefighter pulling the victim out. Those are the people that if we work for them, everything's going to be better for the citizens in the community. And, um, Bobby, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, very, very well said. That was just some you know, good, good poignant stuff. And Ben, I want to kind of come to you next as that captain who is trying to balance all this stuff out. Uh, to Bobby's point, we talk a lot about leadership in the fire service, and there's a huge difference between a leader and somebody who is simply in a position of authority. And 
Chief Cole had mentioned before, it's usually that informal leader um, who makes the biggest difference in, in the department. But I don't want anyone ever, ever, ever to underestimate the importance of any role or function within a department. Um, we have a tendency to kind of tribalize or box ourselves in. And outside of the friendly rival, rivalry, rivalry, excuse me, between like engine company, truck company, EMS suppression. But, you know, we, we all think that our jobs are important. We should be the best. You, what? Chief street level provider. That too, right? That, oh, never mind. That one. That one. But, you know, you should be the best you could possibly be at your role and function, but understand how important you are as part of that big puzzle that's put together. And uh, the analogy I use sometimes is you know, if you look at, look at that iconic picture of the, the Titanic sinking, you know, and you have you have it going down by, by the bow up here and the stern's way up there. And there's a little guy up here saying, wow, I'm really glad that hole's not on our end of the ship. Well, that's the mentality we have sometimes. It's like, guys. You have to realize that that guy who has the thankless job of ordering EMS supplies and toilet paper is pretty important to your operation. You might not think so, but if there's no magic that happens um, you know, after hours that supplies get there or you know, the, the, the things that aren't really the glorious jobs or functions. I mean, we love the operational part of it because that's what we enjoy. But it's that it's that team that comes together. So like Bobby said, whether you're that probationary member, you're, you're the guy at the end of the line on the nozzle, the forceful entry person, that EMS provider, or you know, that chief officer who's sitting in you know, meeting after meeting after meeting and, and having death by meeting, uh, all those things come together for the people that we're trying to serve. And you know, to Bobby's point, he uses the analogy a lot about the you know, little four-year-old kid in the Spider-Man pajamas at the end of the hallway. That person doesn't care about you know, what you had to go through or what divisions you have within your department. They just want, they just want help when they, when they need it. So Ben, from your perspective, looking through your lens as, as a captain, how are you balancing some of these things uh, in the fire service and in your department? Yeah, thanks Trevor. And it's uh, going through this and I always take notes as we go through these, through our talks and it's always fun to look back afterwards. And, and I, I like to think we, we, we drop some nuggets for everybody of, of knowledge and a little bit of information as we go through, but it's always fun. Like I said, to go back and look at it and like, I wrote this down and I, I remember what we were talking about, but I missed like it, it gains importance and it gains um, a little bit more power at the end when I go back and read over it. So um, yeah. So, you know, being, being a, a captain and um, having the ability to act up as a, as a assistant chief and a ship supervisor sometimes, um, and then balancing that operations administrative uh, roles within the department, it, it's it, it can be tough. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Um, like we talked about at the beginning, we all join the fire service to be the one on the nozzle, putting the fire out, to be the guy on the roof, be the person on the roof. Sorry, uh, cutting a hole, cutting the door off, you know, starting the IV, dropping the tube, whatever it is. We didn't join the fire service to go to meetings. We didn't join the fire service to to sit around and discuss what kind of toilet paper we need and and to make sure that it gets to all the stations. But those are the – without those meetings, without those functions, you know, the, the firehouse would not – like we would do our jobs, but it would not run as smoothly as it does. Um, and I would say probably three months ago – I was really struggling because my role currently with, with our department is uh, to help manage the cadet program, which is our high school program 
um, and to help manage our volunteer training uh, in coordination with our training division. Um, and so I, I kind of stepped back from the operations and not riding the fire trucks, not going on calls. You know, I'd fill in here and there a little bit every now and then. Uh, but it, it really got to the point where it's like, I don't want to go to another meeting. I don't, I don't care about meetings. I don't like we do training, which was fun. It was great. Um, it was, it was allowing me to go, we go do forceful entry and you know, that, that hour and a half long meeting we were sitting in where we didn't really fix anything, but we sat there and we talked for an hour and a half, you know, I could force, force a couple of doors or show people how to force doors and then go over it and, and train and educate. Um, so it, it was able to get some of that frustration out, but it's still, it, it builds. Um, and I was talking to a, to a buddy and he says, well, why don't you not go to those meetings and go ride fire trucks? And I tell you that, that was some of the best advice that I've gotten in a long time. Um, you know, getting back to the job that we signed up for and getting back to doing the stuff that, that we want to do, go do fireman stuff. Um, and it has, it's made a world of difference. So I think, I think like Bobby said, you know, you, you come in and you're expected to know these KSAs, these knowledge, skills, and abilities for the engine, the knowledge, skills, and abilities for the ladder truck, for the rescue truck, and be competent of that. And then at some point they, hey, congratulations, you're a, a sergeant, lieutenant, whatever, um, you know, and, you know, are, are you ready for that? Well, one, if, if you think that you're ready for that, I wish you the very best of luck because I, I still don't think I'm ready to be a captain. Um <laughs> And, and there, there will be people that will agree with you on that. Um, but if, if, if you wait until you're ready, you'll, you'll never be ready. It's one of the things that you got to kind of figure out as you go. But I always made it a point that before I moved up, before I became an engineer, I wanted to know that the people that I work with thought and that I have proved myself as a good firefighter. Before I promoted to lieutenant, I wanted the people that I work with to think and to know that I was a good engineer and and to have that confidence in the people that I ride with frequently and that I respond to calls with to, to they know that, hey, Waples is here. He's going to get us water. He's going to he's going to be able to force that door. He's going to be able to do whatever we had to. Um, so that was always very important to me as, as I as I went through my my progression and up the chain um and then I, I think you know at some point like we said you get you get stuck between the administrative and operations and it's a, it's a tough spot but um with that you have to understand that again it's part of it's part of the fire service like you in order to can if you're going to continue to move up that one you you have to invest the time and to do that kind of stuff do the rest of that to understand where you're going. So you have to understand the operations. You have to understand the decision-making. You have to understand the other side of it where they talk about, Hey, um, we're going to spec out a new ladder truck or we're going to do whatever. Like you have to understand that process too. And it makes you a more rounded officer and makes you a more rounded person to, to have a bigger view and a better scope of what you're doing and where you're going. So, but it, it is, it is difficult because you get back and forth between that, the operations and meetings. And um, I think chief tall had mentioned you, you get multiple masters where you're getting directives from one side and directives from another. And you're like, Holy cow, what, like, what do I do? And, and, and at that point you have to make a decision what's best for, for the people that we're going to, to help and what's best for your people. 
Um, and then, then you have to be able to defend it. Well, Ben, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, chief tall, I'm going to kind of sort of put you on the spot a little bit and get, get you to work with me here for a second. Um, assume for a minute, I'm one of your junior officers. I'm one of your members and, I just can't understand why in the world, Chief Tall, when we need, and I'll, I'll throw a hypothetical situation out there, let's call, let's say about staffing. And we know we need more people. We never have enough people to, to do what we need to do. Budgets are tight. Things what are what they are. But, you know, I just don't understand why Chief Tall doesn't go up right up there to the mayor's office, jump up and down his desk, pound his fist on there and say, we need more staffing because if, if we don't get it, babies are going to die and you know, there's going to be mayhem in the streets and zombie apocalypses or anything else. We understand from our perspective the importance of staffing and safety and getting the job done. But damn it, Chief, you're a chief. You know, you you work with these people. You've you've got the five bugles. Why can't you just go there and pound on the desk? So you know, take take me as that as that member of your department or that junior officer. Help me see it through your lens a little bit. <laughs> that's that's funny that you would say that because that's exactly what we hear quite a bit. That chief, if you would just go out there and tell them that you need this extra money for these people. They're going to give it to you. Well, that's an unfortunate uh, non-reality that happens in the world. So, um, so for that person, you know, education is very important because they don't see it through the uh, lens that I see it through or other people see it through. They just want um, more people. They believe there's this endless pot of money that is available and, you know, we should be able to show that we need more people. Well, data-driven fire departments, you know, it's it's a challenge sometimes to show the need. I mean, we, we data is only as good as the data how it's entered. You know, we get good data, we get bad data sometimes. And uh, so you got to have the right data to show the need. For years, the fire department always lived off of that. Women and children are dying in the street. Well, that's not the reality we live in anymore. You know, uh, we can't use the fires are happening every day uh, calls either because look at our statistics and we're not running fires like we used to run in the 80s and 90s. So trying to explain to them, you have to make them understand that one, the fire service is not a revenue generating organization. We do not generate a lot of money other than the EMS billing that you may be uh, associated with. Every time that fire truck goes out on a call, there's no money coming in for that. It's an expense. We got to pay for the people. We got to pay for the upkeep of the equipment. We got to pay for the fuel. So the fire service is a very, very expensive organization. And it's, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And not only, you know, are we a very costly uh, department, but you also have to look at this pot of money that the, the municipality or the city or whatever your organization is has. The fire department is one of many that are going after this pot of money. You know, for like the, the city, you know, I'm one of 11 departments that all have priorities. We all have needs. We all want uh, more people. We want more staffing. We need equipment, uh, new dump trucks, bulldozers, police officers, police cars. So we have to compete uh, with those other 10 departments for some lump of money that the city's willing to provide to each department. 
And then when you have um, your your elected officials, whether it's you know mayor, executives, whatever it is, each one of those they have their priorities. And you know this year the fire department just may not be the priority because again the other ten departments have to have funding. There may be some major infrastructure that has to be uh, completed within your municipality, your your area. Streets have to be paved. You know, most people hope they never see a fire engine or an EMS unit at their house. You know, we uh, most people don't expect that, but you know, they want to make sure that when they turn their uh, faucet on, they've got good water, they got good drinking water, uh, toilets will flush. They want roads that are smooth when they ride down it. They don't want a lot of potholes and bumps in it. So all that is at times a higher priority than the, the fire department. I mean, public safety is huge. And when you look at most uh, budgets for different municipalities and that, the public safety gets the largest pot of that money because one of our salaries, of our benefit package, and just our apparatus through uh, CIP. You know, we to buy a fire engine today, $800,000 for a fire truck. You know, we're getting ready to buy three EMS units, and it's almost $1.3 million to buy. You know, they the city has to continue to provide that uh, funding for the equipment, and then they, you know, we get great benefit package, and then we can have, uh, in the city, we have the mayor has implemented a pay predictability plan, which guarantees us a step every year, which, you know, that's in perpetuity of someone's career. So every single year, more money goes out of that pot to maintain salaries, benefits, and all that. So it's, it is a challenge uh, to get certain items that you need. And I'm all, I always encourage the people that believe that I should go up there or any fire chief should just go up and jump up on the desk. My philosophy is this. I agree. Let's do it together. Let, we'll, we'll all go up there and we'll all jump up and down on the, the mayor's desk. Right? We'll do it together. Well, and John, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it, it becomes an educational process, especially when we have election cycles. So every two to four years, even if you start to sway the opinion of these folks, you sometimes have a new batch of people in there. And just to kind of dovetail into something that you said earlier, um, you know, people look at us as another service. And we internally, we, we know the value of what we do. We know the value of our members. We know the risk that our members take each and every day. And even if they don't employ those skills, the mere fact that they're, they're in that fire station ready to go at a moment's notice is huge. And we get that. But not everybody, we, we represent you know, a fraction of 1% of the population of the earth as firefighters. If you think about it, we're a very, very small population. So we can't expect people to see it through our lens. And that's where that, it becomes difficult because we have a very clear view of, of what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. So to that end, I'll, I'll oversimplify it and I'll, I'll share the ex, uh, or the example I gave the other night. Imagine that you, know, you have 
you're a mom and dad, you're a mom or a dad or a mom and dad, and you have five kids and you, you love all your kids. You love each one of them equally, or at least you say you do. Um, but you, you love your children. But one day little Sally comes up to you and says, mom, dad, I want $1,500 to put towards buying a car. So if you give her $1,500, what do you think the other four kids are going to want? $1,500 as, as well it should be. But then when you give it to little Sally and then, you know, Ben and Trevor and John and Bobby start complaining and say, whoa, 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 hold on. We're, we're just as important as little Sally. Well, how come she's getting $1,500? Mom and dad come back and say, well, you know what? Sally's the only one who has a, a, a part-time job and she contributes to the finances of this household. What are you all contributing? So let's, let's put that in what Chief Tall just said. We are a service. We don't generate revenue. The best we can hope for is a little bit of cost recovery through either hazmat billing or EMS billing. And it's not like we're you know, uh, a city entity that can actually bill or produce revenue. So your five kids, when you have um, police, fire, administration, public works and recreation and parks, you know, police can generate a little bit of revenue through citations, traffic tickets, or anything else. Not a great amount, but they still can uh, actually produce income. Recreation and parks, recreation programs, all those things, they can actually make money and not only pay for their, their salaries, but actually put money in the coffers of the city. So look at it. I'm not asking you to agree with it. I'm asking you to look at it through the lens of someone who's not a firefighter. And that's tough as hell for us to do because we always have those blinders on because we know, we know our value. And trying to educate people about value is very, very difficult. So you know, those are some of the things that, um, just like to Chief Tall's point, we need fire trucks. They're critical to life safety, and and the bulk of finance and um and the rep or the um budget does go to public safety. But how many times is that fire truck outside your house per week? Hopefully never. But we're there if you need us. How many times is that trash truck outside your house a week? Probably at least twice. Okay. So people see that, and and that's what these uh, elected officials. That's the lens they look through. So for us to be able to understand that lens a little bit better. Maybe not, you know, we might not agree with it, but if we understand it, we're like, oh, okay, now we get what's going on. That's the educational process where we have to go and say, okay, what is the value of your fire department? What is the value of your firefighters? Because they only see us as a line item. They see us as 75% of our budget or more is personnel costs. They don't see that, you know what? This person has had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of training, and they're sp spending time away from their family to staff a fire station in case something happens to me tonight. They look at us like insurance. And I'm not saying that's in a demeaning way, but what, what do you want from your insurance? You want the best possible coverage at the lowest possible rate, and you pray to God you never have to use it. That's how the fire service is looked at through a lens other than the, that of a firefighter. So, um, Bobby, what, what, what's, your, what's your take on all this? Um, <laughs> from a, uh, you know, from a crew perspective, um, one of the things when I talked about everyone's equally important, uh, we're also all part of a team. So while our chiefs are going through the pain of conversations, difficult conversations between different city departments or county departments or whatever you're involved in, um, while they're going through that, uh, there is something that we as firefighters and, and crews can do to make this thing better. Um, I can tell you this right now with all certainty, more staffing 
will never fix your problem. And so what do you mean by that? More well-trained staffing will fix your problem. You can hire 50 firefighters. You can hire 50 paramedics tomorrow. If they're not well-trained, they're nothing but a burden on the system. You know, so what can we do as crews and crew leaders and those guys in the firehouses and, and, and all that, those guys ride on the ambulances, the girls ride on the ambulances, what can we do? Well, what we can do is be better at our job. You know, I think, I think, you know, every one of us that works in firehouses and have those slack days where we just had a bad week, we're arguing with the wife, whatever's going on, um, don't like how things are going, whatever it may be, and we, and we, and we kill a day. We, we've all done it. But you know what? That guy that gets up off the sofa and says, hey, let's try to put a mask on with gloves on. Or, hey, let's go pull a line. Or, hey, let's talk about this medical protocol. Whatever it is, um, you know, we can make a huge impact on fire departments with the staffing that they currently have. And I think a lot of the times us guys on the street level kind of throw all the onus on our fire chiefs and our command staffs by saying, Oh, well, they just need to get more staffing. Well, the truth is more staffing won't fix our problem. First of all, taking the staffing that we already have and being better trained and better at our job is a very first step. And then the next step is to create a leadership or a, a command structure to handle the extra people. If you hire 50 people with no managers, I can tell you how it's going to go. Not well. You know, it's going to be leadership by committee, and the committee may not agree with what the fire chief wants, you know. So, I mean, I think... We get better at our jobs. We create a, 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 a value at the street level, and then it simply grows from there. And you simply, when you get more staffing, you get more leadership, you get more command staff positions to kind of take that together. That's why we're all in this together. That's why, you know, um, you know when we, we complain, and I do the same thing, we complain too much about how we don't have enough staffing. We don't have enough people to cover the calls. But in reality, what we should be talking about is how can we make our call better and more efficient? How can we clear the hospital quicker? How can we get in there and clear the automatic fire alarm quicker to be available for the next call? You know, how can we kind of troubleshoot those things? So in, in, in my perspective as a whole team, as a fire department, um, we at the very base level, the very first firefighter walks through the door probationary to the crew leaders, to the captains, to everybody else, you know, we've all got to say, how can we make this thing more efficient with what we have? And then it makes Chief Tall and Chief Steven and, and, and Chief Bowers' jobs much easier to go in and say, look what my people are doing. What do you think could happen if I could get more people like that to do to take care of our problems and, and so on and so forth? But if we dig our heels in and, and, and just do the bare minimum, um, it's not going to be a real hard, it's, not, it's just not easy to sell to counsel people if they're not seeing people out in the community, they're not seeing people being compassionate to patients on medic units, they're not, you know, knowing, understanding that, that that food on the stove is a big deal to that person. Even though it's a, it's a garbage call to us, it's very important to the people that had to cry uncle and call 911 and ask for somebody else to come into their house to solve their problem. And those, those are what we can do at the street level to help out um, with this whole system of leadership. And that's part of our leadership is, is even, it doesn't, you don't have to be an officer, you don't have to be a lieutenant or a captain or whatever. Just be the firefighter in the, in the fire station that gets up and says, hey, let's go, I'm going to go pull a line, I'm going to do that. So that's, that's kind of my spin on the thing is we're all in this together. 
um, you know, Chief Tall did a really good job explaining there's only a limited amount of money, whether it's through volunteers, fundraisers, or it's through city budgets or county budgets, there's only a limited amount of money. There's lots of important stuff. You know, I take my kids to the park, right? And they love it. You know, so I don't want not to have parks, you know, and those things. And, and I don't want to, I, I don't like to tear my suspension out by my car either. So um, that's, that's what I think we can do on, on as, as crew leaders in the firehouses is kind of help out by being a more sellable option for cities and counties. It, if I can jump in real quick, want to talk something that Bobby just said yeah, about being in this together. He's absolutely right. And one of the things that I see that uh, happens in fire departments is we undersell ourselves to the community and to all the elected officials. You know, we are so busy that we never take the time to celebrate a success. And you pick the success. You know, it could be uh, saving someone out of that burning building, some complex rescue, some public ed event, whatever it is. We never take the time to truly celebrate that success and sell it to the community. Because a lot of us, you know, we, we could make that save, we could make that grab. And at the end of the day, because of who we are and our love and passion for this job, we don't want any accolades. We don't want any, you know, ticker tape parades or anything like that. We just want to do our job and we never celebrate some huge success. Whereas other departments, you know, anything they do, they're out in the media, they're on social media talking about it. So they're constantly in public eyes. Whereas we, we just go, it's, it's part of the job. It's just another day at the office for us. You know, why, why should we celebrate that? It's, it's what I signed up to do. It's what I get paid to do. It's what I love to do. So don't make a big deal over it. And that's, I think is one of our downfalls that we have to, as a, as a service, get better at celebrating our success and especially the people you know this a simple praise can go so far in an organization you know to praise someone whether they want it or not carries so much weight to people because we all want to be thanked we all want to be told we did a good job at some event so as leaders i mean we we really have to start taking the time to offer praise and thanking people for what they're doing. And uh, Chief, I mean, very, you know, true words haven't been spoken. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I guess the next part of that is how do we do it? Sometimes we talk about celebrating those big successes and agreeably, a lot of times we just say, oh, that we call that Tuesday in the fire department where other people would make a big deal. But um, how about how about even some of the smaller successes, like when somebody gets promoted or earns their earns their degree or goes away to some sort of training that the the community sees the investment that the fire department made in them the community knows they invest in the fire department but then when they can see what we invest in them um what what, what are your thoughts on some of those things how to celebrate successes of all sizes and how do we market ourselves better well you know i i think we've got to really embrace the whole social media thing and a lot of departments are really doing that but you know um, you got to get out there in the media and have a good working relationships with your media. Maybe someone in your uh, your government, your municipality, 
may be that person that has good relationships with the media and have news clips. And anytime we do something, I mean, we should have some type of post on our websites, on our Facebook, on our Instagram, whatever it is, social media that you have, you know, we should be celebrating that success. That person that gets their paramedic, you know, you, you had the big picture of them standing with their new patch and you write a nice article for them and you send it out to everyone. And, you know, even as a fire chief, you send a letter to that individual, you know, congratulating them on the hard work and the dedication for completing that program. But we use our social media to, to our benefit because there's a lot of people that follow different organizations on social media. Most people now that's how they're getting their, their news. People don't get newspapers anymore. They don't uh, subscribe to that kind of stuff. It's all social media driven. So you, you take the time and you put articles out there every day that talks about what your membership is doing, their successes from the completing this training program to that call where they, uh, they impacted someone's life. You know, people have the worst day of their life. They know when they call 911 and ask for the fire department, we're going to show up and we're going to make their problem go away. And, you know, we, we celebrate all that kind of stuff um, in all different facets of social media. I'm, I'm a big proponent of social media. I believe that gets the message out and a lot of people see it. So, uh, Thank you, Chief. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, successes of all scale and size, I think we should uh, really highlight and as a fire service, we've always been a very modest people. We've never been really good at marketing, quite honestly. Um, and we're not really out in the public eye unless we're reactive to something. Whereas you might see a police cruiser going up and down the street patrolling. Usually when they see our folks, it's because we're active on a call. And I'm very proud of the, the folks that I work with. Uh, and I've even seen a change in the community that I'm fortunate to work in a community where they've always supported their fire service and liked their fire service. We've been very uh, good with that. But the the members of the department, they're not the firefighters. When people refer to them from the community, they say our firefighters. That's a big deal. So you know, we want to make sure that we we live up to that expectation every day. And you know, people feel that they have, in, in a positive way, they have an investment in us. They, they, they have a pride and ownership in, in their fire department. And they also see, <clears throat> excuse me, they see the, the value added. And also, how do we contribute to their quality of life? Uh, things like prevention, those are things very hard to quantify. We can't say how many fires we prevented last year. We like to think we did but through education, training, fire marshals, inspections. But that's a very difficult thing. And, you know, quite honestly, how many people are going to read that byline even on social media? Oh, fire department prevented fires last year. Okay. Gee, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. But you know, what what are we doing out there in, in the community? Um, and I think you know, Bobby and Ben have both mentioned this is where you know it's it's what what do we do at our level in the fire department to have that interaction with somebody? And I've been just as guilty of it as anybody else. I've got my um, you know, back in Ocean City, we called it our August attitude because you just got beat down um, you know, with, with the summer season. You're running you know, dozens of calls each and every day. And um, you, know, you might go out to that person and not quite be as compassionate, or you have that basic question that someone asked you. And instead of giving them an eye roll, you actually take the time to 
engage with them because to them that's the most important question they're asking you they've they've come to you for advice um so again it's it's understanding your role and responsibility at the various levels and really realizing how much of an impact you have whether you're the the guy riding backwards in the engine or you're the guy wearing the white helmet with the five bugles on it you have an impact on that community when people interface with you you're you're the ambassador you're the representative um whether it's three in the afternoon or three in the morning um, whether it's the person who is, uh, you know, treating you well or the person that you've been to six times uh, who's, you know, this is the fifth overdose you've been to that day on the same person. This now you're going back for number six. You know, when you treat people with the with the integrity and, you know, you have the integrity of your job and your position and have that kind of pride in your organization, um, that that reflects well, because let's let's be honest the boots on the ground the folks that are riding those uh, engines ladder trucks rescue trucks ambulances they're they're the first face that people see whether it's a, a good or bad interaction so we we have the opportunity like i've said before either to polish or tarnish our badge every day we have to make a conscientious decision which one we're going to do so um with that ben let me let me kick it back to you for some uh, final thoughts yeah i was just gonna say let's uh work on wrapping it up we're, we're approaching our we're just a little over our hour um so we'll kick it around the room one more time for our final thoughts and as i was sitting here listening to, to all this good stuff um as we go around the room what uh what would you have to say for that newly newly inducted member your newly promoted uh crew level supervisor captain you know the that person that's taking that that first step into whatever role that they're taking uh what what advice would you give them in that first six months two years they join or as they move up in your organization so uh trevor let's kick it over to you first right away all right uh real quick uh, i just want to say thank you very much to the panel especially chief tall for sharing some of these you know words of wisdom with us and um you know it's it's great stuff to hear, and I think that uh, we really appreciate what you do and, and your dedication to the fire service. One of the things, um, when whenever we have a person brought on the job, we do a badge pinning ceremony. And for some, it might seem to be a little bit, uh, well, it is ceremonious, but some people may think it's a little conflated. Um, I, I really don't think so, but I, I bring any new firefighter uh, paramedic that we hire, uh, whether it's an individual or four, six, however many it is, I, I wish. But anyway, uh, usually it's one, one or two at a time. But we bring them before the uh, the mayor and commission at a, um, a meeting of the, the, the council, the, the monthly meeting. And I want the community to see what they've invested in. And that person stands before the mayor and commission takes their oath of office. And as part of that, um, you know, their family is there. And we, we reference, we say, hey, look, you're, you're not just hiring firefighter you know, Jim Smith over here. You're also this this is his family who is giving you know he or she up for 24 hours a couple times a week. Or if we have a, a major event, a hurricane or whatever else, this family is serving this community, too. And they might not even live in this community, but they're serving you as well. And we ha we give them the opportunity to, to kind of be seen and to understand the importance of the role of that individual firefighter, individual firefighter, paramedic, EMT, whatever the case is. But when we present the badge to them and whichever family member, friend, whoever their choice pins that badge on them, you know, we, we discuss the, the symbology of it and, and some of those things. But we also look right at the community and say, this badge that you're about to receive is a contract, 
and, and, and an obligation between you and these people in this audience that you've you've sworn now to protect. And as you take your oath of office, you know, this isn't just an appurtenance on your uniform, but this this is a symbol of that obligation and that contract you have with them day and night. So when people see that and they they look, it's not just oh, a fire department hired somebody. Let's just put an article in the paper. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. Try to take it to that next step. And I'm not saying we have the, the chance to do you know, parades and celebrations every single day. But something of that, when someone starts out their career that way and understands the importance of that one individual in our department coming in as a brand new firefighter paramedic, and we, we display them in front of the, the community that they're about to serve, and that community goes, wow, this is what I'm getting. Like Bobby said, you know, what, what am I getting for my, for my tax dollar? Here's what you're getting, and here's why you're getting it, and here's how you're getting it. It goes a long way. So um, with, with that, uh, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. And you know, especially the panel, and again, uh, Chief Tall, uh, nothing but nothing but respect for you, brother. You've been around this industry a long time, and we've we've come up in it kind of together. Now we're the old guys. Uh, we definitely had different hairlines when we first started, but uh, you know, thank you very much for being here tonight and everything you're doing. So with that, I'll kick it over to Bobby, and then uh, we'll give Chief Tall the final word, and then Ben will take us out of here. Well, thanks, Trevor. Um, you know. First of all, I want to thank Chief Toll for coming on with us. Um, I, I really enjoyed listening to what he had to say and, and what's going on. Um, and for the new member, um, with my 32 years of experience, um, what, what I would tell them is, you know, you look at leaders, and uh, Chief Toll talked about, you know, uh, poor leaders, and we've seen good leaders. And, and so to quantify what I've seen, what I've thought have been good leaders in my career, um, you know, I remember when I very first got in the fire service, 1988, you're not going to believe this chief tall, but uh, Doug Scott was the fire chief in Millville Fire Company when I joined in 1988, uh, probably the youngest in the state at the time or whatever. And he was one of the first true good leaders that I saw. And he said, well, what is a good leader? You know, we think a lot of different things about good leaders. In my experience, a good leader is 50-50. And a good leader is 50% criticism and 50% praise that's an honest assessment of where we're at you're always doing good things every single day and a good leader is going to say wow that was a really good iv you did man that was a really nice job pulling that hose line in there and there's also things that we just don't do well and that's where the, the, the constructive criticism comes in and the best leaders that i've ever worked with or worked for in my entire life have always been honest and honesty is giving you good news and giving you bad news um, without trying to filter or change it out or whatever, just telling, telling you where you stand. Because I can tell you, as, as a, someone that follows leaders, I've always wanted to know where I stand. And I've always wanted to know what they want me to do. And good leaders, you have no difficulty in having the clarity of what they expect of you and also what the, how they think you're doing. And, that, and that, for me, that's always helped me out in my career to kind of know where I stand. And so for the new member, it could be a guy that doesn't have any rank at all in your firehouse. It's that guy you're looking at, that 50-50 guy. The guy's going to tell you when you're doing well, and that guy's going to tell you when you're not doing well. That's the guy you want to hang on to because he's going to catapult your career wherever you want to go. Um, if you're getting all good news, it's no good. If you're getting all bad news, it's no good. It's that 50-50. So that's, that's kind of my... My thought about, about leaders, and that's that's who I would 
try to act, if I had went through this whole thing all over again, <laughs> what I know now, that's where I would acclimate myself to that person that's totally honest and tells me goods and bads. Awesome. Uh, uh, call, okay. turn it over. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that, buddy. All right, Chief. So they're, they're bad. You can tell me how bad I did turning it over to you now. Hey, uh, Chief, Chief Tall, any, any final uh, words of wisdom? And then uh, after you're done, we'll pitch it to Ben to wrap us up and uh, take us home. Yeah, just, just a couple things. You know, you talk about, um, like you said, the badge pinning ceremony. And that is such a huge event in a new member's uh, career. I mean, to have the family there, to pin them. You, you create this environment where they believe they uh, belong. Uh, you develop these friendships, a family atmosphere. There's nothing better than watching, you know, moms, dads, wives, kids uh, come up there and pin their loved one and to celebrate with them. I mean, that is, that is so huge and so important in someone's career. So for that new person, you know, my advice is this. When you walk in the organization from day one, be here now, all right? Be here now. What that means is when you walk through the door, I want you in this organization, both physically and mentally, 100%. You know, when you leave, be wherever you're going to be 100%, whether it's home playing Xbox, home uh, mowing the grass, whatever it is, but in the department. When you come in the doors, be here 100%. Commit to 100% of giving everything you have. I mean, the, the job is rewarding. And if you give 100%, you'll get 100% back from the organization and the department. For those leaders, for the future leaders, you know, uh, learn to communicate. Communicate and communicate some more. All right? What you don't want to hear is people saying, well, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that. Now you're always going to have some of that, but as long as you're communicating and keeping people informed, you're going to build stronger teams, but also listen aggressively. Listen to what's happening in your work groups. Listen to what's happening in your department. Uh, the people at the, on the, on the ground, the troops, the grunts, the ones that are doing all the work, they have a lot of answers. They can fix a lot of problems. If you're just willing to listen to what they have to say. Mm -hmm. um, as uh, leaders, you know, nurture the freedom for failure. You know, we have to have people that are willing to take bold risk at different levels in the organization. Encourage that. There are going to be times where people are going to fail, but that's okay. You know, nurture it. What did you learn from that failure? You know, as long as you learn something and you apply it the next time, we're going to be better and stronger in the long run. Um, we joke and people hear me say this all the time in the department. You know, as leaders, when you go to make decisions, never fail the Washington Post test. You know, so when I go to make a decision, Think about how it's going to read in the Washington Post tomorrow. If the decision I make, and I can read about it in the department or in that Washington Post and go, whoever made that decision, they made a great one, you know you made a right decision. If you think that when you read it in the Washington Post, you're going to go, 
that wasn't a very good decision that person made. That probably tells you you shouldn't make that decision. So always apply things to the Washington Post. And as, as leaders, you know, invest in the future. Always invest in the future. The future leaders of the organization. Build strong, deep benches and surround yourself with strong people. Right? The best minute I spend every day is when I'm investing in someone else. And that can be from the newest member, giving them advice, talking about their future, helping them along to other leaders in the organization, helping them mentor, groom them. Because as Trevor said earlier, you know, I've lost a lot of hair in this job and I am now that dinosaur in the organization. But when I think of legacy, I want my legacy to be remembered as that person that gave it all to every member of the organization. It was never about me. It's never mine. It's never me. It's us. It's we. It's ours. And if I can leave something behind and see someone become successful and know that I may have given them a tidbit of information or helped them along the way, you know, that's my legacy in the organization, because I know even after I'm gone, they're going to apply some of the same concepts and thoughts and words that I have done throughout my career. So uh, this has been so great tonight. I can't thank you guys enough for uh, having me here. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I wish you guys, uh, all of you, success in whatever your future endeavors are. And if I can ever be of any assistance, you know, no matter uh, through the fire department or just personally, John, to each one of you, you know, do not hesitate to uh, call me. I'm here for you. Well, thank you, Chief. I appreciate it. Um, I I would uh, provide some sort of some some sort of closure, but um, like I mentioned at the very beginning, I've been mentored and have, have worked under each of these guys. Um, so it would be nothing but a re reiteration of what we've already heard. Um, so uh, for the for the people out there in Facebook and YouTube, I want to take this opportunity to thank you guys for making me the the leader and the officer officer and the mentor that I am today. Because um, because certainly you guys have had a lot to do with my upbringing. So thank you guys. Uh, thanks for joining tonight, um, John. Thank you for for joining the 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 fun of Thirsty Thursday, which we never did this, by the way. Cheers, guys. So, right. so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Thirsty Thursday for this week, uh, for this month, is is a wrap. We're looking at next month. Uh, the I give you a date, but it'll be on our social media, on the Facebook page, Strike the Box Training, uh, Twitter and Instagram, Strike the Box Hot, and then our Strike the Box Training website. Um, I think next week we're planning, or in two weeks, we're planning on doing some technical rescue stuff. Uh, Chief Stevens got a got a buddy down in Florida that we're going to try and bring on here and talk about some technical rescue stuff, so that'll be good to tune in. After that, we're looking at doing some water rescue with summer and um, all that kind of stuff. So water sports, uh, ocean, flat water, lakes, rivers, whatever you have, 
um, talking about that. So as we move through this, that's uh, that's our next couple topics. So um, as always, feel free to reach out if you guys have any questions, comments. Uh, if you still want to come in and put some comments in afterwards, we will see those and I promise we'll get back to you. So again, thanks for watching. We appreciate you and stay take care and stay safe.